0: Okay, now it's time to go back, to go back to uh, the book of Romans and uh, Romans chapter 14. It's a, it's a subject that's, it's a book that I love, but it's a subject that I, I, I also very much enjoy uh, discussing with you um, because it has to do with, with stuff that um, makes the body of Christ, I think, uh, a sweeter place to be, a, 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 a better place to be. So um, uh, the text that's before us tonight begins in verse 13. It goes through verse 16. We'll try to cover it tonight. Here we go. Let me read it to you. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Guys, um, I I know you've been around Bible studies long enough to know that when you see a a text that begins with the word therefore, uh, then you know that what you're about to get is an application of something that just preceded it. Um, it, it. The word therefore is a word of application. And so what the Apostle Paul is doing is that he's about to issue another plea, but the plea is based on the, very, uh, on the verses that just preceded and the argument that he has established. In that argument of verses 12 through 15 excuse me, um, 10 through 12, Excuse me. Um, in that argument, he has reminded us of a very serious judgment uh, that awaits all of us, this future judgment. And, and uh, that's his argument in 10 through 12. Having said that, he then says, therefore, and then he returns to the theme of the chapter. And uh, what you get in verse 13 is a restatement of, of the principle that Paul has been explaining from the very outset of this chapter. And and that principle or that that injunction is stop this tendency that we have as Christians to pass judgment on other Christians. Stop this thing of harsh judgments that we're prone to... um, to distribute. Now, that's his theme. That's his theme in this whole chapter here. He's just reminded us, one of the reasons that we ought to stop it is um, of this judgment that he's described in verses 10 through 12. (laughs) But then he returns to the theme in verse 13 and says, "Um, let us not pass judgment on one another. There it is again. And that is said to both the strong and the weak with the primary emphasis on the strong. Now, l- let me illustrate, or let me try to explain what I mean by the strong, guys. Um, when the gospel swept through the countryside of uh, Palestine and then into, on into the Roman Empire, there were, there were two kinds of converts. There, was, there were Jewish converts and there were Gentile converts, The Gentiles came into the kingdom of God, glorying in this gospel, but they had not had millennia of influence by Mosaic legislation. They had not been under that influence. Whereas when Jews were converted, they brought with them all this hundreds of years of of background in Mosaic legislation. And so, when they came into the kingdom, they brought with them some, some misgivings, some scruples about doing certain things and eating certain things and drinking certain things and days that they thought were sacred. And so the Gentiles, who had did not have that background, would look at the Jews and say, What are you making such a fuss about? That's just silly. <laughs> I mean, your, your concerns about that are just silly. So um, it was the Gentile who was in, at least in this setting, in the position of strength because they didn't have those scruples that had been born of millennia of living under Mosaic legislation. So <clears throat> when I say that Paul is aiming this at the strong, he's aiming it at people who don't have the hang-ups that he saw as a legit, or he understood as a legitimate uh, piece of baggage that people would have if, who've lived under Mosaic law for that long. Now, that's what I mean by the weak and the strong, okay? So, Paul issues again in verse 13, this, um, this injunction, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stomach by it's interesting, guys, that the word judge is found twice in verse 13. It doesn't appear in the, in the more, if you've got a King James Bible, it'll appear twice as the word judge. But it's found, therefore, let us not pass judgment. There it is. Um, the, the Greek word is krino. But um, the, 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 the more modern translations go to the second half of the sentence, but rather decide never to put. That's the same word. It's the same word, krino. Um So wh- what the text is saying is, um, um, negatively, stop judging others. Positively, start judging yourself. Which is... Um, which is something really directed, as I said, to the strong, um, people who consider all others who don't see things as they do as being somewhat immature. So stop all that judgment. If you want to judge somebody, judge yourself. Now, gang, here's a principle for you. The way to move forward in the Christian life, the way to grow, the way to mature is not for one group of Christians to lay down a set of rules for the other group of Christians. That's called legalism, ladies and gentlemen. And it is rampant in the evangelical community. I had a long-distance phone call today from a, young, from a man who uh, used to attend this church, and they moved. And he wanted to ask me some questions, and what he wanted to ask about Was legalism? He has run. He has come face to face with some really very vicious legalism. The principle I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, is the way that we grow in the way we grow in a Christian life is not by one set of Christians establishing the rules for the other Christians. That's legalism, and we want to talk about it at at a fair degree of length tonight. But again. The injunction of verse 13 is, stop this. Stop this severity and in our, in our harshness in dealing with each other. Okay? Now, guys, you come to verse 14, and there's a wonderful principle here. Actually, I love to teach the book of Romans, but I, I, I love to teach this too. There's two, there's two lessons in here, guys, that I hope that you will leave here with tonight. Two takeaways, two things that make it worth you listening, if, if I can explain it. Well, enough. Verse 14 is really a parenthesis. Now, I know there's no parentheses around it, but it is parenthetical nonetheless. Um, Here's what Paul says in verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Now, gang... I said to you that Paul is, is primarily directing his comments at those who consider themselves strong, OK? And he is issuing all kinds of injunctions to have the strong stop all this harsh judgment of the weak. But in verse 14, he says, "You may need to, um, oh, um, make some concessions for those that you think are weak." But in fact, the strong are really correct. Um, The strong believer is really right in that he is saying that no food is unclean in and of itself. It's a parenthesis, guys. Yes, I am calling you to make concessions in terms of the weak. But we all know. That nothing is unclean in and of itself. But, but notice the principle, guys. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Now, guys, um, first of all, I want you to keep your finger there and to see if you can find 1 Corinthians 8, because 1 Corinthians 8 is somewhat of a commentary on this section of Romans. And you you might want to keep it open to 1 Corinthians 8, because we're going to come back there one more time before the night's over. But to illustrate all of this, I want to read to you, beginning in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 8. Okay. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. And that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, there's one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. Thinking, do you understand that? That's, that's really great stuff. He says, um, Now, there's some people out there, they have a little hang up about eating food uh, dedicated to idols. But you know, there ain't no other gods but the one that we serve. It, it, those idol business, that's just nonsense. But, he says, not everybody has this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. Gang, Verse 14 says, now listen, guys, I know that y'all are going to have to make some concessions for the week. But you're really right about this food thing. Um, No food is, is really defiled in and of itself. But if a person thinks that way, and he goes ahead and eats anyway, it is a sin for him because he has violated his own conscience if you do what you think god forbids and you're even wrong about what he forbids but if you do what you thought he would he, forbid, he forbade and you were ignorant in your understanding you have still violated... You have sinned against your own conscience. Because I told you the story. Um, one of the reasons I love to, to um, lambast legalism is because I used to be one. I used to be a card-carrying legalist, ladies and gentlemen. And, and uh, you know, they, they, they tell you that when you, when you come out of seminary, it takes you five years to get over your seminary uh, training. And there's, there's some truth to that. And so... Um, and Susie and I were married um, um, all through seminary. We got out of seminary. We had a baby, and, and uh, we moved to Ocala, Florida. And um, then we had another baby, and then we have another baby. We got three babies. We got three girls, and, and um, we're trying to parent. You know, this parenting business is really tough. You know, I, I'm telling you, it was hard when we did it. It is much harder now that you're doing it. I mean, it just gets harder every year. So you girls that are pregnant, lots of lot. Um <clears throat> Uh, my, um, but uh, you know what I mean. Sin seems to encroach in advance every six months or so. You know, S- some kind of new... Um, I-, I have a, a, a granddaughter, who I think she's in the first grade, but I'm not sure she's in the first grade. What grade is she in the... Cr- cr- first grade? First grade. I got that right. <laughs> the other day, somebody called me and asked me what my granddaughter's name was who lives downtown, and I couldn't come up with her name, and Susie has never... Not let me forget that. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, I got a granddaughter who in, in Washington, D.C., and she goes to a school, and... and um, and the teacher comes out and, uh, what, no, actually, there are three different sections of first grade, and it wasn't in her section, it was, but it was in her school, uh, and, and the teacher comes out to her class and says, all of you who feel like little boys, I want you to line up over here. And all of you who feel like little girls, I want you to line up over here. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, parenting... <laughs> We didn't face that back when when, when I was raising my girls. Uh, but anyway, we're trying to be parents, you know. And I love to talk about marriage. I love to talk about marriage because uh, I think I know something about marriage. Parenting, I know nothing, nothing. I, you know, we we did it wrong. I mean, we just we <clears throat> we did it bad. Uh, and Susie's pretty good, but I, we, but anyway, one of the things that we that we held on to, you know, we were this this these, these zealots who came out of seminary and we were going to. Mm, I remember coming to this church and thinking that pastoring a church was just leading a big old Bible study. Oh, my gosh. But anyway, um, we had these girls. And, um, of course, we have a television. And we have lots of televisions. And we forbade, I I think I've told you this, we forbade our daughters from watching the Flintstones. Because Wilma was very disrespectful of Fred. Fred. And we didn't want our girls seeing that kind of disrespect from a woman to a man, and so we, we would let them watch the Flintstones. We would not let them watch Scooby-Doo. Because, stop snickering. at. Um, we wouldn't let them watch <laughs> Scooby-Doo because there's too much ghost and, you know, and all that, that, that uh, stuff in it. You know? So we didn't, we didn't let them watch Scooby-Doo. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know, if Susie were to get pregnant, <laughs> I mean, it would be a miracle, um, but if, if she were to get pregnant, and we had another child, we would probably let them watch Scooby-Doo, because we were wrong. We were wrong in our convictions. That is false, but it was our conviction, and so, even though our conviction was wrong, were we to have allowed it, it would have been sinning against our own conscience and thus sin. That's what verse 14 is saying, ladies and gentlemen. Paul looks at the strong and he says, now listen, you stop that judgment of those people. Because they, they draw back from eating um, food, uh, meat, sacrifice to idols. But you know, you know what? There's, the, the idols aren't anything. <laughs> I mean, they really don't even exist. But not everybody has that knowledge, and so you're going to have to make some concessions to the weak, even though you're right. And there, ladies and gentlemen, comes the rub. Because I'm telling you, some of you, you're going to have your way because you're right. Come hell or high water. And those are the two principles that are contained in this text, ladies and gentlemen. Or we'll get to it some more but but the first one is this: even though my conscience be trained wrongly, even though I be living in ignorance, my kids are never going to watch Scooby Doo. Even though I am trained and convicted of wrong and wrongfully and I go ahead and, and do those things that I think God forbids, even though he doesn't, I've sinned because I've sinned against my own conscience. A conscience that is wrongly trained. A conscience that is wrongly informed. But it's still my conscience. You know, guys, oh, we... we um, we go through these things in the Christian church um, every now and then about something comes out and there's this huge flap over um, over whether or not my kids should watch this or whether my, my, I let my kids go to this movie, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the latest one was the, um, oh, the movies. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. I, I you know... It was all over the blogs and, you know, you shouldn't go to see Harry Potter. Oh, go see Harry Potter. Um, You know, I don't know what was right, but ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you if your conscience was such that you thought Harry Potter was a violation of righteousness and you let your kid go, you sinned. Because even though your conscience may have been wrong, You're not supposed to violate your own conscience. Now, um, so do the strong. Remember what we talked about—the strong, the Gentiles that came in, and they didn't have all this background, all these scruples, and background and misgivings. They didn't have any of that. Oh, you silly nincompoops! You let let your kids watch the Flintstones. They didn't have all. They were looking at you know somebody like this. That's foolishness. Okay. So do the strong have freedom to do as they wish? (laughs) And there's the second principle, ladies and gentlemen, or the second lesson. Verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Let's stop right there now, and I'll I'll get back to verse 16 in a second. But guys, Paul has, has nodded his head in my direction, or he's nodded his head in the Strong's direction in verse 14. And then he has balanced his comments by saying, but let me remind you. Even though you're right, if what you do um, brings about some kind of um, difficulty in my so-called weaker brother, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, his appeal is. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Guys, here, here's what, I mean, I see both ends of the spectrum. I, I, you know, I've, been, I've been down on the, on the weekend where I was, you know, no Scooby-Doo. And then God kind of kicked all that stuff out of us um, several years back. But then on the other end of the spectrum, there are these Christians who think, listen, I'm right about that. And I don't give a flip whether you get hurt about it it or not. I'm going to use an illustration because in the South, you know, this is the one that kind of pops in everybody's mind. It's it's sad that it pops into our minds because... um, The European Christian church absolutely laughs at us, laughs at us, that we're this backward. The consumption of alcohol. I mean, um, you know, I know of a church where on Communion Sunday they tell everybody who wants to drink grape juice to sit on this side of the church, and everybody who wants to have wine, they have to sit on this side of the church. So they have two different sets of communion wear. They got the real, and you know, you could really get yourself in a a drunken stupor (laughs) over that thing, couldn't you? That's the kind of foolishness that goes on amongst us. But here's my point, ladies and gentlemen. I will absolutely fight for you over the exercise of your Christian liberty. But is it really that important that people can get abused and stumble just because you're gonna have what is coming to you? Is it not worth it to set it aside? Is it not? Is it that important that you're gonna have? You're gonna eat it anyway, or I'm gonna drink it anyway? And I don't care, because those weak people, they're wrong. You're right. There's nothing, there's nothing unclean in and of itself. But ladies and gentlemen, if I go ahead with all of my freedoms, and, and, and then look at what verse 16, this, I, I love this statement. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So you took your freedom, a good. And in the way that you exercised it, you created an evil. <laughs> oh me, guys. Let me let me comment on one quick thing and then we'll wrap it up. Guys, here's where the here's where the difficulty comes. You've got these two extremes. You've got the, um, you know, the one saying, I'm going to have my rights, and then you've got the one that's got a conscience that's mistrained. But, but a, a big problem comes because... <laughs> I shouldn't do this to you, Sarah. I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to. Um, the big problem comes because of what's known as weaker brother tyranny. Can I borrow you? Come here, sir. I, I, I said this because I, I think you're so clearly proper. proper. This is a good thing. And, you know, guys, you, you've heard of the, the problem of if you wear things that cause me to stumble, it becomes sin for me, but for you too. So let's take the question of modesty. How many of you here tonight think that Sarah Hysong is dressed modestly? Mm-hmm. But, is there, are there any perverts out there who... <laughs> <laughs> it is your husband. <laughs> it's a good thing. Um, is there any pervert out there that thinks this is immodest? But you see, there could be some who say... <laughs> <laughs> no, darling, you look fine. <laughs> Sit down. Uh, there, there could be some saying, well... That just is racy. And thus you become tyrannized by the by the idiocies of the weaker brother. Go back, guys, to the first Corinthians 8 that I, I, I mentioned. We start reading verse 9 now. But take care that this right of yours. Does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a commentary on what you're reading in, in Romans 14. For if anyone sees you have knowledge, no, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? So you're going to insist on your rights. You're going to go in there and somebody's going to see you and they're going to say, oh, now I'm going to violate my own conscience. He sinned, but so did you. Because you took your freedom and used it improperly. Now, let me get back to the weaker brother tyranny. There There is a sense in which sometimes the weaker brother has to be told, it's time to grow up. And you see that kind of thing taking place in Acts 15. Because the, 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 most, the, um, the Jewish converts in the church wanted to insist on circumcision. And they had this big conflab, and finally uh, uh, they, got, they said, Uh uh-uh, uh, you guys are wrong. Stop that. And there comes a point where the weaker brother has to be told, It's not my, not my problem, buddy. That is modesty. Uh, the problem's yours, not mine. But that's tricky. (laughs) It is really tricky. But there is a weaker brother principle that we should respect, the one that you you saw that I just read out of 1 Corinthians 8. But it cannot be allowed to tyrannize and to distract and subtract from the freedom that we enjoy in Christ Jesus. There are legitimate things that should concern us, ladies and gentlemen, legitimate things. You know, I always hesitate to do this because I never, I never know what kind of people are in here and what kind of, um, but I, I just want you to know I have absolutely no problems with the consumption of a glass of wine with supper. None. But I would never dream of having a glass of wine in this city. Never dream of it. I'll tell you this. I I mean, I've learned it the hard way. Just never dream. It's not that important to me. Are your freedoms that important to you that you're willing to just ride roughshod over anybody that watches you? Or is it? It doesn't mean that much to me. So I just assume, limit my freedoms... So that the wrongly trained conscience that may see me and would then be tempted to violate his conscience would never have to face that. It's just a small little limitation of my freedoms. And I'm telling you, I worry about some of you who are not willing. Limit your freedoms. What's going on there? What do you think? Huh? I don't know. Guys, let me do this real quick. I only have four minutes, but um, I'd, I'd love to pursue that further. Why is it, according to this text, that the strong should limit or forego privileges? Number one, because love is violated. That's what it says in verse 15. Why should I limit my freedoms? Because if I don't, I violate love for other brothers. Just because I'm right doesn't mean it's okay. Meat sacrifice, it doesn't really mean a thing. That's what he says in verse I told you it was parenthetical. He's saying, yeah, 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 you're right about that, but if you insist on it, you're not walking in love. Now, so what's important to you? Hmm? That, you that you have that glass of wine, huh? is, that, is, that, is, that, is that... Now, guys, by the way, the, the, the things that vector in on your life are different than the ones that vector in on mine. Understand that. Um, What you do is different, fortunately or unfortunately. I'll say this. Susie and I have never considered it a great loss or a great sacrifice on our parts. Why should the strong forego privileges? Because love is violated, number two. Others are damaged. If Jesus Christ so loved him as to die for him, how utterly unthinkable not to submit to a very small piece of self-sacrifice. Why should the strong forego some of their freedoms and privileges? Because love is violated, because others are damaged, and because our freedom has become an evil. That's what it said in verse 16. So do not let what, what what you regard as good become an evil. Don't let the the glorious freedoms that are ours in Christ become an evil. And those are three reasons, ladies and gentlemen, why all of us who think we're strong should very seriously consider the proper way to exercise the freedoms that are legitimately ours but you might going to have to make some concessions out of love for those who don't read it like you do i love this little portion because those are the two principles ladies and gentlemen if you violate your own conscience even if your conscience is wrongly trained you sinned secondly i am called to limit my freedoms in the interest of a walk that's done in love. Let's go. Our Father, I, I do thank you for um, uh, the, the the freedom that I that all of us have in Christ Jesus. The thing that um, that is beautiful about being a Christian is that we've been set free from foolishness and from from performance that is empty and produces nothing. And yet, Father, grant us wisdom. That we can, number one, walk in love, but number two, properly treat the weaker brother. And number three, not allow the weaker brother to become a tyrant in his insistences over foolish things. Lord, we, um, we know that that's tricky and complex. Would you grant us wisdom, wisdom that we don't have? And we pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.